0: In shadow of the moon, Actor Boyd Holbrook plays a Philadelphia police officer named Thomas Lockhart, and he's hungry to become a detective. He begins tracking a serial killer who mysteriously resurfaces every nine years. We'll tell you a little bit more about all of that. We'll tell you what we can tell you about that, because we don't want to give anything away. But I'm really pleased to welcome in studio uh, Boyd Holbrook. You've seen him in films like Milk. I want to talk about your first scene with Sean Penn a little bit later on. All right. um, uh, out of the furnace which I love, Run All Night, and Gone Girl. You, Of course, you starred as DEA agent Steve Murphy in the Netflix series Narcos. And um, you played uh, Donald Pierce in Logan. So and, and more stuff than that, but we'll get to all that shortly. And then also joining us is director Jim Mickle. He's the creator of the TV series Happen Leonard and the director of films such as Cold in July and the Can Fortnite selection We Are What We Are then Mulberry Street and Stakeland. So welcome. Thank you. And uh, the film, did I mention this? In the Shadow of the Moon. I think I mentioned the name of your yeah. film. Uh, and out of him, the Gate. <laughs> out of the Gate. So congratulations on it. Thank you. And Jim, this is the first of your features uh, that you didn't write. Mm-hmm. And tell me what it was then about this script when someone came to you uh, and said, hey, you know, this guy uh, likes to write everything himself, yeah. but uh, what was it about this script that grabbed you?
1: Well, I'd done, you know, 10 years almost, of very rural small town stories, you mm-hmm. know, and and, um, and I love doing that, that's kind of where I grew up, but at some point realized, like, man, this is like the eighth year in a row that I've scouted <laughs>
0: dirt
1: road, back road. It was always that thing, like, oh, we're scouting back roads? Again. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, I kind of wanted to do something very different and um, um, I, I Whenever I do something, I'm always kind of interested in doing the exact opposite next. So I was in the middle of doing that TV show, and then the script came along, and I read it, and it was like, ah, oh, this is the kind of film that I'd have always wanted to do, like a sort of a heady Rubik's Cube thing and a murder mystery and, and mixing all these genres together. But I don't really – I'm not great at conceiving of those kind of things. So that it was a great way to sort of step in. And I read an early sort of raw draft from mm-hmm. those guys, so we did a lot of collaborating and sort of building it over time to become what it was.
0: Yeah, there's a lot going on here like this is, I mean, it's science fiction to a a certain extent. It's a film noir to a certain extent. It's a thriller. There's all kinds of stuff happening here. Mm. Boyd, is that part of what kind of brought you into this is just that it's kind of unlike anything much else that's out there?
2: Yeah. To what Jim said, you know, I think when he him and I got in contact, uh, Jim mentioned, you know, he's read a thousand things as, as I had been doing. And it's when, when I read the script, it was like, wow, this is, uh, this is big. It's different. <laughs> it's, um, ambitious. It's, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I get the chance to play, uh, three or four characters within one character over these segments and eras of his life. So it was just so much work to kind of dive into. I, I feel like I was kind of like, I was like a fish on a, on a string being hooked into the mm-hmm. story because there's so many things to, um, to draw from. I didn't have to really create a lot at all. It was all already there, written.
0: Okay, so we're talking around certain elements of the story here, mm-hmm. so we don't give anything away, but I think we can say, as you just alluded mm-hmm. to, that uh, the story kind of jumps ahead nine years, mm-hmm. a, a few times in the film. I don't know if we're telling people why it does mm-hmm. that, but your character ages nine years mm-hmm. in in each of these segments. Uh, so tell me about casting that, because mm-hmm. you need one actor that can convincingly portray yeah. someone as a young man and as a substantially older person. The older person, you know, I guess you could you rely on makeup, but you got to have someone that's got the depth of character to actually pull that off.
1: Yeah, I, I you know... It was exciting when we, you first read the script because you're thinking, "Oh man, this is a character that's going to go from really like late 20s into their late 50s." We even shot a scene that w- he went into his 70s. It didn't make the film, but um, but well, we did yeah. a lot. We did a wide range, and so you know, then then you start thinking about. Casting and Boyd's name came up and I'd loved Boyd's work before and and I one of the things that I always remember like I remember the first time I saw him in Narcos, I was like wait, is that the same guy that was it, you know, and you start to do yeah. this whole thing and then the uh, same yeah. thing in Logan You're like wait, is that the same guy from narc? So it was this really fun thing and Boyd's got such a young blessed with a very young face And I remember <laughs> in a good way and I remember being like wow this guy can play a really wide range so um, I also like that um, he's kind of, as I said, you're you're a bit like Brad Pitt. You're sort of a character actor in a leading man's body, which is great. And um, and so I think you know we we spoke. I think Boyd was one of the first people I spoke to, and um, figured out that we were also. Really, next door neighbors in upstate New York. Yeah, I
0: wanted to ask about that because <laughs> yeah. uh, you know I always find that kind of amazing. You can you know have your career, living your life, working, doing stuff. Then you're like, oh, yeah. dude, you live next door to me. Yeah, yeah. this
2: great director just mm. down the road. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: if we are what we are.
1: Actually, when we shot that film, we shot in the house across the street from where Boyd lives. Really? And, yeah. And we yeah. Actually... Do you remember
0: the film crew outside uh, outside
1: I, the house?
2: I, actually, we I wasn't there up there yet, at right? the uh, time, but um, I remember watching the film and being like. Davidson. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And we had, um, we actually had, we used what, is now your yard. We used it yeah. as holding for a little bit, so we had some trailers parked there. And yeah. So, yeah.
0: so this was meant to be. Yeah, yeah This collaboration yeah, ultimately was meant to be. <laughs> it was cosmic. Boyd, mm-hmm. interesting, this is radio, so I have to describe things a little bit more, mm-hmm. but it was interesting to see your reaction when uh, Jim said that you're like Brad Pitt, a leading man's, a character actor in a leading man's body. And you seemed like a little uncomfortable with that <laughs> sort of idea. <laughs> is it just oh. that it's odd to have someone compliment you like that to your face, or it's part of the business, though, isn't it?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. There, yeah, there's, um, you know, you want to be, I guess, respected off of your internal world yeah, and yeah. all that stuff. Um, and it, but it is nice to get a compliment. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to lie about that. But yeah, it's and you know the, the great actors. Um, I kind of get, you know, uh, pigeonholed in certain things, yep. and I, I've, I've really gone up and beyond, out of my way to to try to. Just really have a lot of range in, in the in the work that I try to do.
0: Well, I look at the at the films that you are drawn to, mm-hmm. you know, and things like Out of the Furnace, Run All Night. You know, those are those are gritty films that that I think probably also, and particularly Out of the Furnace, um, you connect to on a personal level, being where you're from, being your background. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that the case there?
2: Well, you know, I grew up in Appalachia. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a big coal mining uh, yeah. region. Uh, And like your grandfather and father were miners, weren't they? uh, Yeah, my father's worked in the coal industry for about 30 years, uh, respectively, And uh, my, uh, yeah, my grandfather as well, and uh, his dad was a mechanic. Um, So, you know, I I grew up with with a lot of blue-collar people, Mm. and I think really that's uh, what I'm drawn towards the most, um, sort of subconsciously, I guess. Um, And, you know... Also now, last couple of years, uh, I've been you know playing British characters and uh, other other things like that too. So. Always keep them guessing. I guess that's the yeah, that's that's the idea that's, right. That's the kind of fun fun part about it.
0: Let's talk a little bit then about uh, creating this wild genre story. But keeping it granted because if you don't care about the characters, if you don't believe mm-hmm. in the characters and the journey that they're about to go on, then the other stuff, the more kind of fanciful elements of the story won't work. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. as a director and as someone who also – you, you say worked on the script with mm-hmm. the, the writers as well. Mm-hmm. How do you make that happen?
1: I think um, I learned a little something in making Cold in July um, where that was also a film that I think jumped genres and every. 20 or 30 minutes that film would recreate itself it would sort of shed its skin and run a story you know as far as it could and then it would sort of morph into something else and um, something that I remember learning in that was really to ground it in. it's always you know whether you're writing, shooting or editing point of view is always the first priority Mm -hmm. and um, I've kind of learned that from the beginning and then I'm amazed how every time you make something you remind yourself of that and so I remember on that just realizing how much of that was focused through Michael C. Hall's character. He was the lead in that. So really, as you're starting to bring in these new characters and new elements, as long as you're sort of experiencing it through him, it's a way that the audience can do that. And if you look at this film, I think there's only two scenes in the movie that Boyd is not in. And so really, it's like even though you're jumping through time and you're jumping through different, you know, elements of different genres. It's like you're doing that through this one very grounded, very real flesh and blood human being. And, and it's an interesting way for an audience to sort of sit them at the table in a way.
0: Well, it's a character <clears throat> study, right? So mm-hmm. uh, I always think that with uh, films that – that uh, good films that have genre elements, whether it's science fiction or, or even if it's a sports film or whatever, like sports films are never about the sport. They're yeah. never about the big game at the right. end. They're yeah. never, you know, uh, science fiction movies are never about the laser guns. They're always about big universal themes mm-hmm. uh, that the characters have to that to walk through and yeah. inhabit, and and that's what happens in uh, in the shadow of the moon. Um, how do you? Uh, Approach a character like this—is it different, for instance, to to essay this character, Boyd, than it would have been to do your role on Narcos or in something that was a bit more reality-based?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, every film and project is is kind of different, so you have to learn new tricks. You can't really bring bring anything from a past project that you think is going to work; mm-hmm. uh, it probably won't. Um, and for me, uh, you know, my wife had just had her first child. Uh, it was, I think read the script uh, two months afterwards, so it had this incredible resonance for me, um, which is how the film is really set up mm-hmm. and, and based upon, going back to what you said about being rooted in that, it's really, everything is, is based upon how much Thomas Lockhart loves his wife and his child. Um, and once that gets broken apart, um, you see him break apart And you see his obsession go down this rabbit hole, and and it's just really about the longing and missing of his wife that really, I think, kept him uh, full and whole. Um, So it's, it's a reflection of that.
0: Tell me Jim, first of all, uh, stylistically kind of how did Korean films play into this? Mm-hmm. And then boy, do I want to get I have more Absolutely. character questions for mm-hmm.
1: you. <laughs> yeah. Um I yeah, I'm a I'm a massive fan of um South Korean thrillers mm-hmm. and 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 what they do and um
0: have you seen Parasite? Uh, no,
1: oh, I cannot wait. That's a new one. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I cannot wait. It comes out. Have you seen it? Yeah. Yeah. At the uh, Toronto Film Festival. Oh, uh, I can't wait. It comes out the night before my my birthday. So I'm like, It is a
0: perfect birthday thing. present yeah. for yourself.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bong Joon-ho, it, that's yeah. my favorite filmmaker. I saw Memories of Murder, um, I think, like maybe 2005. And it was like, it was, uh, I just remember being so haunted by it. But also, it was the first time that I really saw that sort of mix and blend of tones, you know, mm-hmm. that it could go from... Um, being sort of haunting and pull you in in a a very genre way. And then it would sort of hit you with like some, some comedy that borders on slapstick. And you're like, wow. And then it sort of like sets you back and you sit back in your chair and then it'll hit you with a really visceral sort of violent gut punch. And so there's just a way that I think a lot of those filmmakers are able to mix a lot of tones together in a way that I think American films haven't quite gotten really comfortable with, I guess. Right. And and um and so I had this experience where I I, I um I had made a film that went to a, a festival called P Fan and um um I remember going in I was in South Korea and and It was it was an oddly sort of inhospitable festival. Like they didn't really welcome you when you got there, and I I didn't even know what day it was or what day my movie showed. But and couldn't understand anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But in the basement of the theater was all the films that had ever shown there, and and the films that were showing there. And um, The Chaser is another film that I love, Um, and they were showing his new film, The Yellow Sea. And so I remember going down, and I just went back through, and I had nothing else to do, so I went back and I watched all through all through director Bong's movies and, yeah, yeah. and uh, all these films again. And I just came out of it so sort of liberated. And I remember all of a sudden it clicked in my head of like even what Cold in July was the film and kind of even, I guess I guess my own voice, what I kind of wanted to do with films that really didn't rely on this one tone, but they were able to be very rich. And, and I hope this film that fits into that as well. Also in the way that it, they, they always do such a great job of telling these very... Um, these, these stories of these like haunted sort of noir characters mm-hmm. that always have these big sort of existential questions. Bittersweet Life is another one that ends on this great note where you're just like, wow, this entire film has been about a guy who just has this one memory of a moment that he saw this woman smiling playing a cello which is like <laughs> so non-american like that yeah, in our world yeah. it would have to be like no i saved the world from blowing up yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this film is a little bit the same way it's like it ends with really just this guy having a realization about what his entire life has been about and it's so internal which is hard to do cinematically so um yeah draw a lot of inspiration from those kinds of
0: i, I think also the confidence to <clears throat> infuse your new film with, with those kind of elements comes with making three or four other films. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, on the first one out, you're probably not going to have the the no. ability, the confidence uh, to be able to do this. Now that you've got, uh, you know, a, a lot of experience and, and some life experience yes. under your belt as yep. well, that makes a difference.
1: Yes, definitely. Although I just saw at Fantastic Fest, we were just there to print this movie and I just saw Vast of Night, a movie that's a first-time filmmaker unbelievable tone and unbelievable command of tone don't
0: you hate uh, that when they get it so right i the just first i time was out. like <laughs> i would love to one day be able to do what you're doing and you
1: just like right out of the bat with no money pulled this thing off so that comes out i think next year on amazon so not to plug another movie, but yeah. check that out. <laughs> <laughs> or another streaming
0: service. Yeah. So, Boyd, uh, you you get the script and then you have, even though you're neighbors, uh, you have a Skype meeting mm-hmm. uh, to talk about the character. And, again, there's a lot going on here with this guy because uh, we see him fray throughout the, the, the course of the film. Uh, but, again, just physically he changes a great deal. So there's kind of two... Elements, I guess, working at the same time. You physically have to inhabit the body of someone who's aging, uh, but also your uh, mental state is changing a great deal. So tell me a little bit about that Skype conversation and perhaps what you guys said to one another about
2: the character. Um, going back to, you know, what you mentioned, uh, you know, I'd, I'd seen Jim's films before. I, I knew that he wasn't green, so to say, and yeah, he, yeah. Could, he could physically pull this off because it was so ambitious. Um, and just really getting to know kind of the nuts and bolts of the character, what's what's driving this guy um, getting a feel of how Jim was going to, to take this on. And as he said, going through the perspective of the character is the most important thing, uh, especially on a journey like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we just really bounced a lot of ideas off. And I think we met a couple times after that as well. And then we, we just got close as quickly as possible in, in going through the script and um, having no questions when we arrive on the day. Uh, we just kind of really had a very, very clear path of how he wanted to execute this. What was the most challenging
0: part of it for you, Boyd? Was it the just the, the physical mm-hmm. m-
2: portion of this or the, the mental portion of this? Um, it's a lot. You know, I— you kind of have to be on the spectrum almost to have so much <laughs> concentration yeah. uh, of mental tracking, uh, everything. And and for me, the biggest draw for this, again, was... Uh just the figuring out the Rubik's Cube, the puzzle of it, and because, you know, you're shooting a mm-hmm. couple of different eras per day.
0: And you're not, yeah, you're not shooting in order. You're not either, shooting yeah. in
2: order. The one thing we did schedule out, Jim and I talked a lot about how are we going to do all these changes, and I, I said, you know, I'm probably not going to get healthier throughout the shoot. So <laughs> um, I, I know that I am going to probably drop weight just out of the days and the hours and yeah. the eating and all this stuff. So... That kind of worked out for the physical transformation in the end. Um, you know, there's some tricks that I use to kind of give myself more weight. Uh, put on, you know, body weights and uh, physical weights to actually just to slow myself down a little bit too, and and actually just mentally to you know you kind of have to be calm to. To stay in the pocket of of, of tracking this whole mm-hmm. character, um, and that was really gratifying. As I was watching
0: this, Jim, you've you've spent uh, a good chunk of your career in horror films mm-hmm. and making horror films. And again, as we were saying earlier, horror films aren't about the scares necessarily they're about creating universal truths they're about all sorts of stuff creating atmosphere and that kind of thing and I can only imagine that while this is not a horror film um, that elements of that had to seep in a little bit to help you create the atmosphere here
1: yeah definitely definitely Um, yeah I think you know I grew up watching horror films loving horror films you know if you look at every really great filmmaker they started in horror films you know francis ford coppola and and, dementia 13 yep Yeah, um and uh peter jackson sam raimi you know um and so i think you know there's a lot it's hard you know they always say like horror and comedy are the two toughest things to do and it is because there's such a sense of timing i think and rhythm you know i'm very much into rhythm in films and how that gets done so obviously that factors in music and editing and so it really, um, you know, I think a lot of, there's a lot of genres of film that I think you can kind of get away with not being completely on top of your game in some aspects of it. You know, there's some, there are some where you literally like you can just set a camera up and if you have good actors, like you get a movie out right. of it. And I don't mean to be super reductive, but with hard, I think to do a really good one, I think you really have to have a really great confident sense from every department and everybody sort of has to deliver in order for all the ingredients to come together.
0: Well, and you have to have characters that people care about. Yes. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, you've got to create, it's not just about Psycho's not about the scene with the knife. Yeah. It's shocking, but it's not about the scene with the knife, yep. you know? Yep. Um horror films are not about that part of it. Yeah, They're about all the other stuff that goes around all the killing yes. and the whatever good else ones, my, the, know, the good ones. There might be the good ones anyway. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so I think it's an amazing training ground and I think um it's also it's it's a it's, a, it's an audience I think that can also be very um Encouraging, like I think, there's it's it's one of the genres where I think people really go out of their way to find new things, find new voices, mm-hmm. and and um, you know my first movie was twenty seven thousand dollars, and we got it, <laughs> yeah, you know, right, it right. played three hundred screens, you know, a theatrical release by Lionsgate, um, and I think that was because there was so much heart poured into it, and yeah. and it's for an audience that is okay to do that because they're seeing something new, and that doesn't always happen. You don't see a lot of people that are running out to see, you know romantic comedies you know in that sort of a way well
0: horror films though uh, (laughs) i i think uh horror films and people who love horror movies uh they will watch something whether it costs 100 million dollars or 10 dollars to make as long as it grabs them on some level and speaks to them it doesn't matter and respects them too i think that's you know there's a
1: great amount of there's a really you know we just saw it in fantastic fest there's just such an audience that um is primed to want to discover things and love things. So it's a great, you know, my first three movies were were that. And I think there's always elements of that to everything that I wind up doing always has elements that carries over, you know, subconsciously, even to the point where people are like, really, you're going to go there?
0: I'm like, yeah, I am. That's what. uh, Yeah. (laughs) What was Fantastic Fest like to to see this film with an audience? Because I would imagine that that was probably the first time you'd seen it
2: with any number of people. Yeah, we we, we had seen it. Uh, Jim invited us to come in the studio and watch where they're doing sound and all right. that stuff. Uh, but at Fantastic Fest, it was tight. Yeah, uh, It was uh, – every. there's not – it's just a fluid-ass movie. Yeah. Um, so, and to see it with a, with a group of people, again, like Jim was saying, is uh, people are so – Yearning for uh, for for this type of film, so it, yeah, it's great. As and it something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And in, 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 in the shadow of the moon is, is truly um, different, and that's again why I wanted to be involved with it because I I knew that there's this is the last chance, or the, probably the one one of the only chances in my career to do something sort of this uh, robust. Uh, so yeah, I, I dove right in. And and when you come across something like that, you do, do you
0: know right away, or is it when you read the script? Because I I look at scripts and they don't really mean anything to me. I try and read a script and mm-hmm. I I can't tell. They're hard to read. Yeah, they're hard to read. I can't tell. What yeah. what do
2: you find in it when you read them? Um, you know, we, it, it's pretty natural. You yeah, know? it's like if you, you sit down and you you either don't stop or you do and right. stop.
0: Yeah, if you if you if you're, if you're like going to make a sandwich after the third page. Probably that's a bad... Yeah, that's I'm a bad curious
1: because I've never asked, like when you read, are you are you like playing it as you're reading it? Or are you reading it to find out what it is? Like I, I always find like I read something and I can have no opinion the first time because I try to sit back and just enjoy it. And then the second time I can sort of go in and think about how I'd want to yeah. shoot it or do it. Like how is it for you as an actor?
2: Um, it's It has changed over the years. And, and I think now when I read... Um Either I, I I see myself doing it or I don't. And that's and that's uh, something that's pretty much so natural and, and I don't have any control over it. It just happens whether or not. So that is just like a gut feeling hmm. that you can't really deny.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've had people in here who have said things like, uh, well, there was shooting in Prague and I wanted to go to Prague. Oh <laughs> Yeah. <so." laughs> uh,
2: yeah. Um, not I'm, the case in this one. Not the case in this one.
0: How do you keep the character – uh, on side with the audience with that because obsession is something that I, think, I mean I think probably a lot of us could understand. I'm obsessed with Bruce Springsteen. I'm obsessed, sure. but this mm-hmm. takes obsession you know a few notches mm-hmm. up.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, there's it was a really good way to compartmentalize uh, mm-hmm. things. In, in the '88 version of Tom Lockhart, you know, he's he's a different guy. He's, yep. he's up. He's a he's a beat cop who's. Who is very uh, ambitious uh, and in love with his wife and happy about the future? Uh, the next time we meet him, that's not the case. Um, some of those elements are not in his life. He has risen um, in his career, but um, you know, unwanted, unwantingly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then in the, f- the the following chapter, it's a, it's a totally different guy. So you kind of get a creep into that as in playing it and really you know, now is the time to to take all that preparation and put it in this piece, and uh, we can put that over there. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the way that I had to to put fences around stuff and, and or, you know, dive in on other things.
0: Jim, Michael C. Hall, you've worked with him before. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it between the two of you that, that seems to click?
1: Um, we have a very similar sense of humor, you know. Um, weirdly, I think Michael is, you know, he's obviously known for really deep, dark, characters Mm -hmm. but I think in in reality I think he could have easily just had as much of a career in comedy you know and and it doesn't come it doesn't get to come out a lot and I just remember this day on uh, filming with him like the second day of filming with him he just did this one little facial expression I was like oh man you got it. You get the you get the inherent humor in here that right. sort of isn't written there, and, and so that was that was really fun. Um, and I think yeah, I mean, I think we you know uh, in a way I think we took a chance on each other. You know, when we did that film, it was a, it was him. You know, he was doing that film like a uh, just a couple of days after he wrapped Dexter, so he literally I was know. like purging that character and came right to show up on set, and it was almost like a clean experience for him to sort of strip that character away and create something new and and um, so yeah, it's just it's fun whenever I read stuff. I'm always like, you know, looking for stuff. Obviously, for-
0: I, I just love his career. I mean, how yeah. cool to be yeah. on Six Feet Under, to be on Dexter, to do Lazarus on Broadway, and yeah, on, I mean, and Hedwig, and, I and Hedwig, Hedwig yeah. in like 12 in like inch heels,
1: like yeah. hanging <laughs> off of you know yeah. the side of the stage upside down. And just like, what are you doing? How
2: is that you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. he has a band now as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's about to put an EP out. I mean, Michael was a jack of all trades.
0: Yeah, yeah. that is something. It, it, yeah. it, I, I love. Love that kind of uh, creativity that allows you to walk down different paths and 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 really just set your own journey mm-hmm. in this kind mm-hmm. of thing lots of people don't do it yeah um but I, I, I do so admire people that that say you know what there's more than one path yeah. to get where i'm going
2: yeah i can understand that going back to you know the the, the, the comment about mr pitt you know who's yep. a phenomenal actor and uh, has a wonderful career and made some great choices um and you get a lot of people in your ear um, whether you're starting out or anywhere in your career, uh, of trying to mimic someone else or right. trying to see, well, that worked for that person. Uh, well, you know, I'm not that person. Yeah. I'm going to have my own path. I'm going to have my own career. I'm going to uh, have some ups and downs some failures, and that's life. Uh, and I think there's just you got to take a certain person, personal investment, uh, entitlement to, yeah. to all this and, and make it yours because, uh, you know, it's very easy to go down and fall into that trap of, uh, of uh, replicating something yeah. or uh, just being a part of another cookie cutter sort of.
0: It uh, worked for him. It'll work for me. Kind of. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, And
2: also people, you know, they, they want to have something familiar. Uh, they want to kind of, you know, be comfortable in that familiarity. So, um, you know, but that's uh, I, that really re- I respect Michael and. Um, trying to do the same. Well, you've had kind of a wild career. I mean,
0: uh, slam poetry was part <laughs> of something that you did for a, for a time.
2: Oh yeah, guys, that, that was a wild. I, got, ago, a, I right? got a radio face. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I, I grew up on deaf uh, poetry jam. Uh, right. Russell Simmons, deaf poetry jam. That was my jam. That was um, something that pff, I I don't know, just being some kid from Kentucky, I really related to. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was it. Uh, Saul William Smith did a film called Slam in 1996 that uh, just really grabbed me by my heels and uh, shook me upside down. And I was like, that's what I want to do for the rest of
0: my life. And now you haven't. But you're, you're performing still, yeah. you know, so that's, that's, that, that was, (laughs) but
2: Michael Shannon had a, had an influence on that, right? Yeah. Whether he knows it or not, I mean, stay friendly, but, uh, you know, he's from Kentucky. Uh, I dropped out of college. I was working in, uh, dropped out of college in Louisville, uh, went to the school, uh, started working in a department store in Lexington, Kentucky, about two and a half hours west of where I'm from. And uh, he was in in there. I think his mom was trying to freshen him up a bit. (laughs) You know, I'd never met an actor and wasn't around theater or anything like that when I was growing up. I was just kind of a normal kid. And, uh, you know, I asked him how he got into the business, and uh, his his advice was to get into theater. So I quit my job that week and started working uh, behind the scenes in a theater company and slowly... Crawled my way to New York and got into film school and drama school. And, and kept here you going,
0: are. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we are. And Jim, uh, for you, when you were sort of creating the, the look and feel of this, we talked about the horror films a little bit. But mm-hmm. I think there's a Twilight Zone kind of vibe yeah. that's in here mm-hmm. as well. Were you a fan of that?
1: Yeah, Twilight yeah. Zone and, and, of course, Black Mirror now. so sort of yeah. of a yeah, the mantle mm-hmm. of that in a, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, we looked at a lot of also, um, you know, '80s uh, urban uh, cinematography and and. Right. Um Jan Debont who did a lot of uh, Ridley Scott stuff in the 80s.
0: Jan DuBont shot the scene, the famous leg-crossing scene yes. with Sharon Stone, right? Yep. That, was, that yep. was Jan de Bont.
1: Yep, yep. working with Verhoeven. And um, Black Rain was when we looked at a lot mm-hmm. um, with uh, Michael Douglas and Andy Garcia. And
0: it's it's a lot of scenes at night, as this film yeah. has, yeah. Uh, and rain.
1: A lot of a rain. rain. A lot of
0: rain. We, and
1: we did that. We wet down the street all the time. So all these streets <laughs> right outside the window here in Toronto, we wet them down every night and pumped smoke in there and yeah <laughs> well it,
0: it's hilarious I remember hosting uh, an event one time with Mary Heron who made uh, mm-hmm. American Psycho yep. and so we showed the movie and then we're doing a and a afterwards and someone puts her hand up and says Uh, Mary was the were the wet streets uh, supposed to be emblematic of the blood that was running whatever the question yeah, yeah. was something like that she was like no they just look cooler. it looks film. cool yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it looks cooler
1: <laughs> yeah yeah we had some of those moments of like but wait did it rain the scene before and it's like it doesn't matter yeah. you know <laughs> <laughs>
0: also on the windows, too. It always looks great on windows when you have light coming through. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, it's about atmosphere again, right? Yeah. You're like with, – yep. with, with a film like this, uh, which will have a, a limited life theatrically mm-hmm. – it played at Fantastic Fest mm-hmm. and, and we're screening it tonight and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But, but this is meant to be seen. On television, yeah. and you know, people have giant TVs now. Mm. Uh, but your, I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but your, your film language has to be a bit more direct. I think in terms of of uh, creating atmosphere and creating and and keeping people's attention so that mm-hmm. they're not playing on their phone yes. while they're watching your movie. Yes, right? yes. I mean,
1: that's a big part with the story. I think. You know, our cinematographer is David Landsenberg, who is an amazing cinematographer and just beautiful. And one of the reasons I kind of sought him out was, I think, as television has gotten better as a medium um, and technology has gone through, like, television looks like film. Like, there's almost no difference. And, and most right. of the television shows, especially the big ones, look better than most TV... Or Sorry, most television shows yeah. look better than most movies now. And I think, you know, I wanted, Especially because I had just come from three years of doing a television show, that I really wanted this to be cinematic. So we used, you know, we got... Um, these anamorphic lenses from the '80s, you know, it was wow. like as much wow, as wow. we could use to sort of embrace that look, and and um, went with sort of a lower contrast look, which is also. All stuff from the 80s um, that really would keep it hopefully just not looking like, um, you know, any television show or like a procedural cop thing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so that, yeah, a, a lot of that went a long way towards it. It's
2: very cinematic.
0: <laughs> very it? cinematic. Oh, it is. Yeah. It, uh, absolutely. And and I mean, as it, the story is cinematic. The story, mm-hmm. you know, when you have a, a, a sweep, and again, you know, we're being careful about how we talk mm-hmm. about the story here. Mm-hmm. But when you have a story that encapsulates as many genres and as much time as this one does, uh, it becomes cinematic. I mean, Mm -hmm. it becomes kind of epic. It's a two-hour epic.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, Yeah, is it running at two? It's
1: like one... 50, maybe 155. Yep. But I remember at some point, you know, like, you know, we, we, we would show it and Netflix would be like, it could be shorter. Like, what are you talking about? We fit an entire movie into the first 35 minutes of this movie, you know? <laughs> but it's that weird thing It's like once you do that, you sort of like have to keep that going. So it was a hard, it was, again, going back to rhythm, it was a tough thing because it's like, it's actually, we tell a 40-year investigation yep. and, yeah. and yet, you know, people will still refer to it as like a slow burn.
0: <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, but they'll, they'll take nine hours to tell the Mindhunter story. Totally, but yeah. Give you two. yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speaking with director Jim Mick- uh, Mickle and star Boyd Holbrook uh, from the film In the Shadow of the Moon, which is on Netflix right now. Boyd, you worked uh, with Netflix before on Narcos. Yep. That show became a phenomenon. That must have been kind of a ride to be
2: part it, of. It was a total life-altering experience. Uh, I, th- I think I spent about 18 months in Columbia in, in total for the two seasons. Um, You know, and it was very early. uh, It was a very early, you know, trial with Netflix, right? Like, they didn't really know what they were getting into or no one really knew what they're getting into. And there were echoes of that. Like, it's not like,
0: uh, you know, once Carlos Escobar was was arrested, it just didn't stop. I mean, there's still – did you ever have any connection with people that would have been – I mean, I know that your character was based on the real-life DEH and Stephen Murphy. Um, You met with him and he was a consultant on the show. But while you were in Colombia, did you ever meet people that said, oh, yeah, Carlos and I – Carlos Escobar and I used to, uh, you know –
2: yeah. Do this
0: and that together.
2: Um, you know, that was a pretty dangerous world. So I, I tried yeah. to avoid uh, <laughs> anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or Anything that would kind of get us uh, in trouble or in danger. But, you know, in, in general, Colombia is uh, an incredibly safe place. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly lovely people, uh, lovely culture. Um, I've spent a lot of time since I've actually left there in South America. Um, Yeah, it was really life altering because, you know, I don't think Netflix had been in Brazil, Central America or South America. So that show was a segue to, uh, like, let in Netflix, yeah, 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 to make it more of a global thing. And so it opened up, you know, millions and millions of subscriptions and people watching that show. So. Yeah, I was floored by the response at the time filming it. Um, you know, it is a third world country to a certain extent, and we're out in some pretty far off places. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, not contacting your family for months at a time. is was, was really difficult, but um, all worth it.
0: People love that show. Uh, Jim, you talked about your first film, made for $27,000, played Mm -hmm. on 300 screens (laughs) across the country. Biggest theatrical release I've had. (laughs) I'm not sure that that would happen today. Uh, so much yes. for a, a film at that budget point, at that price point. Yes. Um, but the streaming services have now stepped in yep. and and created a way to you know show films, reach huge audiences, a global audience, yep. uh, in a way that didn't exist before, really. And um, as a filmmaker, I know you want to see your stuff on the big screen, mm-hmm. but is there a trade off between? The pleasure of seeing it projected on a big screen versus the amount of people that will see yes. a film like *In the Shadow of the Moon* on Netflix.
1: Yes, very much, very much. I was really frustrated because I, you know, I had that experience. I made that film and it, and it went and and went to a lot of theaters. And then I made um I made another film right after that. Well, not right after that. That came here to Toronto, won uh, uh, an audience award here, and then. Uh, IFC bought it and IFC Films and, and um, really didn't have an outlet to sort yep. of get it out there. And it just killed me. I remember going to see it like opening night and going to a theater where you walk in you're like, all right. And they're like, well, we're actually opening four movies tonight here in this theater. so And you're in the small one. And I remember going to this room that was not much bigger than this yeah, yeah. for like your world premiere. And it was like, oh, all right. Mm. Um, and then I made another film after that that went on and did and played incredibly well. Um, and E1 bought it they were just going to do North American and I think they only released two movies that year and decided they weren't going to do that anymore and then I made another film that was you know it had Sam Shepard and yeah, yeah. Don and Michael and all this stuff and IFC bought that again and it was the same exact experience and I just thought like, man I just spent 10 years making films that I was really proud of that you know audiences love but they're not connecting with audiences they all went on to sort of have cult followings but like there was just nothing more painful than seeing other people that i you know had done festivals with going on to make movies that were opening on mm-hmm. you know 500 square sc- you know thousands of screens and you're just like wow how is this not happening so um yeah i mean then and then i came off of doing the television show which is also kind of similar like because it was kind of a show that you know it was like the best show nobody watched and so i just mm-hmm. felt like i'm tired of trying to strive for this. I just want people to see the things right away. I've been
0: in conversation with Jim Mickle and Boyd Holbrook, the director and star of In the Shadow of the Moon on Netflix right now. Uh, My thanks to Andre and the board. My thanks to you for listening. Tune in next week.